You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. All right. Good morning. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, not nervous at all, uh, when uh, Pastor Trevor had told me that I'll be, I have an opportunity to teach on the 28th. I was excited because I figured, I'm not a camper, so I figured it'll be myself, my wife and my kids in the corner, maybe a handful of people, not this many people, but um, it's great. It's good to see everyone. Um, I'm going to be teaching today from Daniel chapter 6, um, and this Story of Daniel and the Lion's Den, and if you started in uh, Sunday school, you're probably familiar with the story, and I'm going to try to tie this in a bit into what we've gone through in Esther over the summer, and really see what God is doing in our lives and what the message is. It's the same, similar message all through the Bible, but really interesting for me when I had an opportunity to study uh, Daniel chapter 6, but as we round up the summer here, and we're going into the fall, and we're going into the busy time. School's starting up again. A lot of people going back to work. Uh, there's, we've had quite the year. Um, some of us have gone back to work. A lot of us have taken vacations. Um, you know, the lockdowns have come down a bit. There, there's a few things we can all agree on. And you know, I think one of those is that, you know, we live in a falling world, and we live in a world that right and wrong is getting blurry. The line is getting blurry. Um, understanding that. Over the past year and a half, we've had a lot of people against us. We've had family, we've had friends, we had people that we trusted, we've lost a lot of relationships. Um, you know, and it, sometimes we might even feel, I sometimes feel this way, that you know, being a Christian is getting difficult. And being a Christian and standing firm in your faith is becoming uh, you know, a hard, hard labor, especially for us in North America, especially for us in Canada that have a lot of privileges. Um, however, the way we carry ourselves in our day-to-day, the way we carry ourselves, oh, thank you, appreciate it. The way we carry ourselves in our day-to-day is important, and a lot of times we get carried away with everything in front of us and forget what our disposition is supposed to be. We forget what's expected of us as Christians. And today we're going to look into the integrity of the righteous um, and understand what's expected of us. And we're going to tie our lives in comparison to what was expected of Daniel and what Daniel went through. And I hope that as as we go through the study that you are encouraged as I was going through the study. Um, And then we have something to ride up into into the fall with here. Okay? Um, What do people think about you? And sometimes when you get that question, you might think, well, I don't really care what people think about me. It's not a bad answer. But as a Christian, what do people think about us? What is our disposition is to people? What is our character like to people? People who are not Christians, people who are Christians, our family members, our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors, what do they think about us? I think that's important. When we think of integrity, we know we can pinpoint people who lack integrity. We'll look at some of our athletes, our politicians, you know, those in the education system, those in the government. It's very easy to pinpoint those who lack integrity. What about those who have integrity? How can we point them out? How can we feel them out? What do we see and can point out that individual has integrity? What is integrity, right? I have a definition here of integrity, 
And it's the quality of being honest and having strong morals and strong principles. And today we're going to tie that into righteousness as well and what God is expecting of us. If you're a fan of sports, of fitness, and pardon me, I might use a few sports references because this so my prior career was in sports. Um, you probably know a bit of the Liftstrong bands. Probably a decade ago, it was this yellow bands that was the crave, and kids was paying every dollar their parents gave them to acquire this yellow Liftstrong bands. And those were started by a man, Lance Edward Armstrong. And Lance was a professional road racing cyclist, one of the best. Uh, he started racing at 16, and over the years acquired a lot of accolades, a lot of wins, um, ultimately seven consecutive Tour de France titles. And to the eyes of the world, Lance was untouchable. Lance was incomparable. He was a legend, he was an icon. Still, some still is. But what a lot of people don't understand is behind the scenes, even through his racing career, Lance had beat cancer and elevated his status of a hero even more and made those Liftstrung bands something that people acquired to have. But when you look in the, in the life of Lance, as, as you find out, and you can go back and look this up, you understand there was a lot of turmoil in the back end. The integrity of the sport of racing, the integrity of the sport of cycling was brought into question as a result of some of the actions that Lance took. And we find here that as Lance was revered to the outside world, there's a lot of people behind the scenes that can point him out and knew he was doping. He was cheating the game. He was cheating the system. And we talk about integrity, we talk about the game, the integrity of the game. As an athlete, the one thing that you know is that you do not mess with the integrity of the game. The pureness of the sport, the competitive spirit, is you gotta earn the wins, you gotta earn the championships, you gotta earn the accolades. And for all accounts, it looked like Lance was earning him on the track. But behind the scenes, as it came out, Lance was cheating the system, he was doping. And ultimately, Lance got stripped of all his achievements. Now, some of you may ask, what does integrity and righteousness have to do with each other? Does God really care about our integrity and our relationships and our businesses and the way we carry ourselves, the way we raise our children, the way we are with our spouses? And the answer is yes, as we're going to find out in Daniel. Um, we, you know, we have a privilege here that we have these examples in the Bible, and we're going to study today to see what it means for us as believers, what's expected of us. But before we do that, let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you and have an opportunity to learn your word. And I just ask and pray that I have nothing if not from the Bible. We just ask and pray that you be with us as we go through the study and that your word will bring light into our lives and that our hearts will be touched and changed to your glory, amen. Uh, if you have, do not have a Bible, ask that you put your hands up and our ushers will kindly go behind and go around and get a Bible to you. Um, I've got nothing for you if not from the Bible. We're gonna be reading today from Daniel chapter six, from verse one to 28. Daniel 6, 1 to 28. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps and to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom the satraps should give account, so the king might suffer no loss. 
And this Daniel became distinguished above all the high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over all the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaints against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaints or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. And this man said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this, Daniel, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And his high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom and the, per- and the pre- prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should be established, should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the line, into the den of lions. Now, O king established the injunction and signed the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And therefore, King Darius signed the document, an injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went into his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Amen. By all accounts here, when you read the book of Daniel, we see Daniel from his youth. When you read Daniel chapter 1 here, and all the way working up to Daniel chapter 6, we see a man who was called and who separated himself from the sin of the world, who was faithful, who stood firm in his faith and his calling. See, Daniel here was a part of the Jews that had been taken exile into Babylon. And it's recorded here, as we read, that he was of an excellent spirit. It's among some of the most famous Bible stories, like I mentioned earlier, from kindergarten, from Sunday school. This is one of the stories that we do love, because you can get graphic with it. But the reality of it here was that we see that the secret of Daniel was really no secret at all. He was fervent in prayer. He was faithful to his calling. We see his faith get tested early in Daniel chapter 1 as a youth, and he overcame. And now in his 80s, we're going to see again his faith, and his faith was challenged again. And this is a sign for us here that Daniel's faithfulness came into action here. And what is God expecting of us as we profess as Christians, as we profess as those who believe in Christ? What is a sign of our righteousness? We're going to see here Daniel's integrity. After all the years of exile in Babylon, he was ordained as a high official. And like Esther we studied, she finds herself in a foreign land as a Jew, and God was present, and God put them in positions of influence. Now, a lot of us here, we might, not, we might say, well, we're not high officials, we're not politicians, but where you are is where God wants you to be. What is your disposition like? What is your claim to righteousness? What would the people that are around you say if they were to question, be questioned about your salvation? Can they attest to your righteousness? Can they attest to your faithfulness in Christ? As we see here, an excellent spirit in, our, in the text, in the, in, in the context of our text here, reflects the integrity of Daniel. We read further in here, chapter 10. And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows. 
and the upper chamber opened toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed. And prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. When we say previously, we're understanding here that this is not the first time Daniel had gone down on his knees and prayed. This is a routine for Daniel. This is something that he was known to do. And we look in our lives here. What is a routine that we are known for as Christians? How many of us understand and spend quiet time in prayer? How many of us dedicate that time? And it's noted here three times a day. So I imagine crack of dawn, bright early in the morning, Daniel spent time on his knees before God to start his day. And at lunchtime, Daniel made it a habit to go back in his home, back in his upper chamber, to pray at lunch. And at night or at evening, sundown, before he went to bed, Daniel spent time again in prayers. This is a habit that he developed as a youth. And if we see, if we, if we proclaim our lives that we are Christians and we're saved by the grace of God, our lives should reflect the holiness and the righteousness and the fervency that Daniel's did. We see the individuals here, the other officials, some jealousy. This is, an, this is a man who's a Jew, who we know is an exile, but he's now elevated above us. And we understand he's not even one of us. But we understand here that God had imputed an excellent spirit in Daniel. And the king Darius had seen that, and that's the reason why he was elevated. And this created jealousy amongst the other satraps. And this search for an opportunity, this search for a fault, they search for something to convict Daniel with, and they could find none. That's, that's, that's quite telling that, you know, I bet a, a bunch of us here, we can ask our parents and they can find numerous things that we've done wrong as children. There's numerous things that we've done wrong as youths, as adolescents, and there's numerous things that we've done wrong as, da- as, as, as adults. But here we have Daniel in a foreign land, in a perverse world, and people can find nothing wrong with him. Now, Daniel is no saint, but what this tells us is that he was diligent and he was fervent and he was firm in his faith to the point where those around him, those that hated him, those that loved him, could pinpoint there was nothing that we can find wrong with this man. This man lived the holy, this man lived the righteous life. And that still did not prevent him from having his faith tested. That still did not prevent him from having his faith challenged. And that's something for us here as we strive to live this holy and this righteous life. It doesn't mean the minute you sign up as a Christian that you're free from tribulations, you're free from trials. We see a man who was spotless here and yet was about to get tested, yet his faith was about to get challenged. And that's something for us here. This, is, this should be a sign of encouragement for us that as we are Christians and as we go on this journey that our faith will be tested. But the resolve is, like Daniel here, he was fervent in prayer. Are we going to be fervent in prayer? Are we going to be firm in our faith? Are we going to be consistent in our habits? And that's the way Daniel achieved his success, and that's the way Daniel achieved his victory. So this individual searched for a problem, and they could find none because he was excellent. But they found something, and they wanted to use that against Daniel. And they went to the king, as we read here. O king Darius, long live the king. And they pestered the king, and they bothered him up. See, I think for you as a king, you are the greatest in the land, and you deserve worship for the next 30 days. That anyone in here that bows their head and prays to any other god, any other man, here's a punishment that we are going to impose on them. Not death by a firing squad. They're going to be eaten 
thrown into the lion's den. That's a, a, a painful death to be mauled by a bunch of hungry lions. And that's the worst punishment they chose for Daniel. And here we have a king, as we've seen in our study of Esther. We're going to compare King Ahasuerus to Darius. There's a king who is easily buttered up, who's easily riled up. And we see Darius here think about it and not really think much about it and quickly sign this decree, quickly sign this edict to punish anyone who wouldn't worship him. And in the case of King Ahasuerus, it was anyone who wouldn't worship him as well. He was going to get all the wealth, all the money, all the kingdom. He was going to overcome everything to the detriment of the Jews, and in the case of Daniel, to the detriment of one, one Jew. Now, through the years, we've seen martyrs who've been killed and punished for their faith in God. When we put this in our position here in our country, and in many countries, we see a lot of Christians being, tri- being tried. We see a lot of countries and a lot, a lot of Christians having their faith tested in our present day. When your faith is tested and you face imprisonment and you face death, how would you react? Would you, react, would you be forced or be led to react like Daniel? Would you go back in your room and pray? Would you continue in your faith? Would you keep proclaiming the word of God, the word of righteousness? Would you keep having that firm conviction as a Christian? Are you going to rationalize your faith and beliefs, or are you going to stand like Daniel? And understanding very much so that this was going to lead to his death. The decree was signed. It was sealed. It was delivered. See, back in those days, when the king, as we learned in Esther, when the king had a signet on it, it was a done deal. Nobody was going to revoke it. It was going to happen. And he knew that he was going to continue praying to his God. He was going to continue being faithful and keeping the tradition and the routine that he had built as a youth, as an adult. And ultimately, Daniel must have known that this was going to lead to his death. This is going to lead to getting mauled by hungry lions. But he never let it waver, never let his fate be wavered. As we see here in different countries, we can point out Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Libya. There's a few other countries where you can do a quick Google search and find where's the hardest place to be a Christian. And a lot of these countries are going to pop up. Canada isn't there yet. But what if Canada becomes on that list? And our freedom of meeting here as a group gets challenged. And our freedom of sitting down and proclaiming as Christians in our workplace gets challenged. What are we going to do? Are we going to rationalize our faith? Are we going to take a break, take a 30-day break? Are we going to take a year break? Are we going to commit to just worshiping online because nobody sees us going into church? Are we going to commit to having a church in our homes by ourselves because God sees us? Or are we going to be firm? Understanding that this could, lead, this could lead to your death. This could lead to you being stripped of your title. This can lead to you being stripped of your position of work. This can lead to you being homeless, losing your job. But there's God and there's man. When we get tested here, the way we're headed in Canada, we don't know how long we have of this freedom. But we can tell the way the education system is changing, the way the political system is changing. The way conversations change at work, we're not very far off this list. How are we going to react? Three characteristics of a godly individual who have godly integrity. The second one here, as we go in, they're steadfast even in their suffering. And the first one we went over here was they're fervent and faithful, just like Daniel was. Let's read from uh, Daniel chapter 6, from verse 11. 
as we go into the second one here. Then this man came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, the do you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition of any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of the lions? And the king answered and said, This thing stands fast, and according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. And they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. And this king, this man came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunctions or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of the lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid in the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, and nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled him. See, Daniel was, as we've learned here, Daniel was a man of courage and godly, godly routine, and three times a day praying, faithful to his faith. And that faithfulness was what cost him his freedom, as we see here. It's worth noting, as is recorded here, that we mentioned earlier that Daniel prayed in his upper chamber. What I took from that is, when you talk about the way the homes were built back in the day, your upper chamber was the most quiet place. And so we see a man who spent time in quiet prayer. And we talk about our daily devotions, we talk about our quiet prayers, and we're expected to do that away from noise, away from distractions, so we can really focus in on our prayer, we can really focus in on studying the Word. And this is what Daniel's routine was. And secondly, here we see that his, his windows were opened always and pointed towards Jerusalem. There's an importance of that, and understanding that he was an exile from Judah, from Jerusalem, in Babylon, but he still had his home constructed to the way where he had his window facing Jerusalem. And the importance of that is, as a Jew, when they prayed, they prayed at the temple in Jerusalem, and the altar of sacrifice was in Jerusalem. So here's Daniel, thousands of miles away from that, but his faith and his devotion and his commitment was still pointing his prayers towards Jerusalem. That was a man of dedication. That was a man of faith. And ultimately here we see, word of no thing, that he will get on his knees and pray. Now this was a man who was right underneath the king in leadership. And he still had the humility to get down on his knees before God and pray. Now imagine Daniel in his position had a few servants and had a lot of people serving him, had a lot of people as beck and call. And it might have been a little different for them to see him get on his knees and pray, but that's the the devotion he had for his God. That's the commitment he had for his God. That's the humility he had for his God. See, British evangelist Martin Lloyd-Jones is quoted as saying, a man is at his highest and greatest when upon his knees he comes face to face with his God. Daniel's life is an example to us of ultimate integrity. As an overseer in the land, he was higher than the high officials, and he was not even from the, from the land. 
He had a simple, simply put, he had an excellent spirit. Simply put, he was a man of excellent routine. Back in my day, I, I understood a few things about routine. And as a professional athlete in the Canadian Football League, routine for us was in the off season at 5.30 in the morning, it was time to get up, it was time to go in the gym. We had three workouts set up in a day. In the morning, you're lifting some weights and doing some, some running, some sprinting. In the afternoon, you're out on the field, you're running some routes, you're catching the ball, you're getting used to some football activity. And in the evening, similar stuff, and this is the routine that we had. And not only was this good for your body and your mind, for the development of, this, of the muscle integrity and the muscle strength and the endurance to last out a season, it was also part of your contract. When you're a professional athlete, you're expected to work out, you're expected to commit to this. And I always, I always ask myself in the burning heat of uh, why training in the summertime, or sometimes in the freezing in the winter, why training, what am I doing this for? Right? You understand it's grueling, it's painful, it was a lot of work, but you knew what the result was going to be. You knew that meant you were going to have a successful season. You knew that meant you were going to be preserved, prevented from a few soft tissue injuries because your body was used to the stress that it would take in the season, you're doing that in the off season. Now we understand as Christians, as we strive our daily, we don't necessarily, we know what the future is. We know what our end goal is. We can't necessarily see it. See, Daniel here started as his youth. And we see here in his 80s, and he hadn't seen the end of it, but he was still committed. He was still dedicated, understanding that his reward was not going to be in earth, but in heaven. Totally different from that of a football player, of a, of a professional athlete. The expectation here as Christians and as those who profess faith is very similar to those of athletes, and that's why we make a lot of those correlations, that you expected behind the scenes in your quiet time to pray, to read the Word, to commit your life, to dedicate your life into the Word of God, understanding that that's what's expected of us. And as we go out and preach and as we go out and teach, that should be our message as well. Being a Christian is not just signing up and being a Christian, going to church and being a Christian. There's a lot of stuff that we have to do that are not of our works, but by the grace of God. See, I personally find that Daniel continued to pray here and give thanksgiving. And that's it's quite humbling. I don't imagine a lot of us have been in the positions where we have an ultimatum to do something or lose what we've worked for work towards. I don't imagine a lot of us here have been faced with similar stuff that Daniel has been faced with here, but we see his resolve that he continued to pray with thanksgiving. He didn't let the decree change his actions whatsoever. See, I imagine a lot of people might be faced with something like that, and they'll pray a little more, they'll pray a little louder, and they probably sit out, you know, in, in, in a sense of defiance. They probably want to sit out in a public place and raise their voice and pray. No, Daniel didn't do that. He continued in his quiet routine because he wasn't doing this for man. He wasn't doing this to please man. He wasn't doing this to upset or impress anyone. He was doing this for God because he understood, and he understood as we should understand, that our, our, our reward is not with man but with God. Amen. And, he continued in his, and he continued in this. Now we see the fellow officials, they were looking for something. They couldn't find something. Now they found something. He was praying. 
And I imagine a man of his caliber in his high house across the hill of the street, way up in his room, and have those individuals snooping around and seeing if he was praying. And they caught him in the morning, and they caught him in the afternoon, and they caught him at sundown. Now they got, they got a case, and they couldn't wait to get back to the king and let the king know, hey, O king, long live thee, O king. And once again, buttering up the king. That individual that you set above us, that individual that was blameless, that had no fault, we found one, king. It's disrespectful to you. The one thing you ask of him to do is to worship you for just 30 days. How difficult is that, O king? And he's not. And he's continuing praying to whatever God he's praying to. We've got a case against him. And you signed this, O king. This decree is that he will be thrown into the den of the lions. And understanding how the law worked back in the day, you didn't have a chance to go get a lawyer to plead your case. Once this thing was signed and sealed and delivered, once this edict, this decree was done, that was it. And the way it worked back in, the, in, in those days was when you get convicted, you get executed in the same day. There was no time of thinking. There was no time to say goodbye to family. There was no time to, you know, adjust your ways. And No, it was, it was done that day, and you were executed. And his individuals wanted so badly to get rid of Daniel. And as we see here in verse 12 of chapter 6, And they came near before the king concerning an injunction. O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? An observation here, as we read earlier, and also in verse 17, is that the stone was brought, it was going to be laid, it was going to be sealed, it was going to be delivered, and Daniel would be thrown in the den of the lions. But we see the king here, and I just imagine here that when those individuals came back to the king, he knew that this whole thing was a ruse. This wasn't really to bring glory to me. This wasn't really to make me the highest and the best. This was really against the jealousy of this individual against this good man. And that's why we see here that the king was a bit troubled. And he searched so hard, so vehemently. He worked so hard to try to find something to change this law. He tried. I, I just imagine he was scrambling through and looking through the record books and find, looking for an example where something different was done just to save the life of Daniel. But even he knew that he had a signet on it. It was done. It was closed casket. It was closed. It was, it was a done. It was a done deal. It was a shut. It was closed and shut. His fate was sealed. Daniel will be thrown into the den of the lions and the hungry lions. And he expressed some faith and he said, "That God that you serve, I hope He delivers you, Daniel, because I can't. I'm at the point where it's out of my hands now." This individuals are going to carry out this decree that I have signed on, and you're going to be thrown in the den of the lions. It's, it's going to happen. But we see here, Daniel, it was never recorded that he, may, he wavered. It was never recorded that he had any questions. See, Daniel was still fervent. Daniel was steadfast, even in his suffering. Suffering leading to death. Suffering leading to eradication. And as a Jew, that must have been difficult because you can, as a Jew, you can look through the history and understand in the days of Daniel, they understood what the fellow Jews had gone through in the, in the days of Esther. And so the hurt and the pain that Daniel must have felt and the hurt and the pain that the fellow Jews around him must have felt and still didn't mean anything, still didn't deter Daniel from 
his conviction and his faith. As we look here, I see from what I've taken from here, and I want, what I want you to take from this is this routine of Daniel is a routine that started when he was young. And I don't know how many young people we have in our room today, but you're never too young to start your faith in Christ. You're never too young to commit that life of Christianity, the life of holiness, the life of righteousness. We see Daniel here started in his youth, and that routine that he started in his youth was what carried him all the way to his 80s, as we see here. He never wavered. He never changed. This was not the faith and the righteousness of his parents. This was not the faith and righteousness of the rabbis, of the preachers. This was his. This was him before God three times a day in prayer. This was him before God three times a day giving thanks in a foreign land. As we can say, us as Christians here, we're in a foreign land. I mean, we're all Canadians, but we understand the sin that rules this world. This is not our home. And the same thing is expected of us as Daniel was here. It don't matter where you are. It don't matter what the area code is. As a Christian, we know this is not our home. Our home is in heaven. But the fact that we're here and the time that we have here, we have to be steadfast in our calling. We have to be steadfast in our faith in what we proclaim. Our yeas have to be yeas. Our nays have to be nays. Our words have to be true because our integrity can, should not be questioned. We want to draw people to salvation. We want to be able to go in and preach to our neighbors, preach to our colleagues, our families, and we want the Holy Spirit to touch them. But if our lives are under question, if our integrity is in question, if our relationships are shaky with our family, with our spouses, the way we raise our kids, the way we do business, we don't really got a lot of foot to stand on. We have to be like Daniel here. And I'm pleading with anyone in the room to build the habit of righteousness, the habit of prayer, the habit of supplication, quiet time, the habit of your daily devotion, spending time in the Word. I imagine Daniel here without his Bible, without his Scripture, knowing he would be thrown in the lion's den, was probably still praying. Was praying for God to protect him and guide him, even if he was going to lead to his death. That's the spirit that we expected to have. That's the spirit I strive to have. And as we're about to find out here, God's glory always overtakes. We always see that, as we read in Esther, it was looked so bleak. The whole race of the Jews was going to be eradicated. And nobody knew what the answer was. And God wasn't mentioned once here. God wasn't, Jesus wasn't here yet. But this individuals had the faith in God. They had their faith because they studied their Bible. They prayed consistently. They prayed fervently. They knew that whatever the outcome was, in death or preserved from death, that all glory will be to God. As we go into our third subtopic here, vindicated and God glorified. Humanly speaking, there was no hope. Right? Things that can change are not going to be changed in this case. And not by the efforts of man, not by the efforts of even the king, not by the efforts of anyone, but we understand that God rules all. God sees all. I'm a testament of that, that God has the power to change anyone. And I imagine a lot of us in this room have similar stories. From sin, we confess our sins, we turn our lives to Christ. We profess as Christians. We're saved by His grace and His grace alone. And the things that we did, we do them no more. 
Things that we long for, we long for no more. We look onto better things. We're committing our lives to Christ. Church becomes a thing, a habit. Prayer becomes a habit. Thanksgiving becomes a habit. Studying the Bible becomes a habit. Teaching it to our children becomes a habit. And as we see here for Daniel, see, I, I imagine that the king, as frustrated as he was, he probably cried. As we see here, his sleep went from him because he understood that I put an innocent man, a righteous man, an upright man, a man who I chose to be among the top of the leaders in this country and this kingdom, I'm putting him into jail because of his faith. I imagine the warrior in his tone and his voice as he walked to that den the next morning. Let's read from verse 22. And Daniel said, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Well, Daniel's a better man than me. When I heard that king coming, and I knew that God had protected me, and I knew those lions had not harmed me, I would have been a little quiet. I would have let him just hurl a little bit when he came to that, to that den. And just calling out my name. I, that's just me. I, I'd have played a practical joke on him. I'd have just been real quiet just to see if he would go crazy. But like I said, Daniel's a better man than me. He's a better man than all of us. And he's still humble, still loyal. Oh, king, I was blameless. I am blameless before you. And I am blameless before my God. And he sent his angel to protect me. He sent his angel to shut the, the, the mouths of the lions. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, you've been to zoos, and you see how ferocious the lions are. And once again, my practical joker self, the way those lions were quiet, I'd have been asking them some questions. What does it feel like to be the king of the, of, of the jungle? And I'd have asked them, first of all, what are you guys doing in here trapped in this den? You should be out there. And they'd probably ask me the same thing. What are you doing under here with us, right? But we see down here, I imagine the whole time Daniel was in here, Daniel was praying he was seeking the face of God, whatever the outcome was. And we see here, this is one of the first times that we see the angel was sent to shut the mouth of the lion. A supernatural vindication. What could not be done by man. There's no animal trainer that would be thrown into the den of the lions that's going to make it out alive. That's impossible. We notice here they're hungry lions. So these lions must not have been fed for a few. And so they're ready to pounce on anything smoking. And we see God vindicate Daniel here. Sent his angels to shut their mouth and delivered him because he was found blameless before God. He was also found blameless before man. For us here, when we talk about being blameless, that's a difficult thing to do. Because you can't please everyone. You can't make everyone happy. The good that you do might piss some people off. The great things you do might not make everyone happy. But how do we project ourselves as blameless before man and blameless before God. It's a difficult thing to make sure that our faithfulness, our righteousness, our faith in God and our integrity is never brought to question. That's a difficult thing. And it can only be achieved by the grace of God. It can only be achieved by the Holy Spirit. It can only be achieved by consistent seeking the face of God consistently reading our Bibles, consistently being in the presence of God, consistently giving thanksgiving. 
verse 24 here, as we get to where it gets good, where we see the, the, the glory of God in action. Verse 24 here says, And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of the lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Now, the same lions that were silenced when Daniel was there, the same lions that were harmless and quiet. Now, they couldn't wait for these individuals and their families to be thrown in with them because they're hungry. They're ready to eat. They're ready to feast. This is the vindication that God brought upon the life of Daniel. I'm going to make another reference to Esther. We remember Mordecai. Remember Haman. And he had built the gallows to hang Mordecai in. And we see the victory that God brought upon the life of the Jews through Esther. And Haman and his family were put in those gallows. And they were the ones that lost their lives. They were the ones that got eradicated. We see here again, just like in Daniel, God's presence and God's will and God's grace in action. Vindication. Now the pagan king, and we understand there's a pagan king because this is the days of the Medes and the Persians. As we read further here, that the pagan king was amazed at the victory and the fact that Daniel was unharmed, that he couldn't also wait to get those individuals who, as is recorded here, maliciously accused Daniel. A lot of times as Christians, our victory and our vindication might not be on earth. The king and the rulers and the justice system might not work in our favor as we expect, as it did here for Daniel. But it's one thing that sure is that our vindication and our victory is in heaven. And that's one thing we can all be sure of, that as we keep that faith, as we affirm in our righteousness, you might not get that release from jail if you get locked up for being a Christian here on earth. Might not be saved from the firing squad. Might not be saved from losing that job. Might not be saved from whatever it is that is evil that's placed against you. But let's have that faith and that confidence that our victory, our vindication is in heaven. Our great, great vindication is in heaven. As we, as we see here, there's a few things that I noticed here that I want us to take down as well. A pattern in our study this summer from Esther as we wrap up our summer here in Daniel. A few things. The people of God stood firm and they stand firm in their convictions. They're blameless and righteous. We see the same thing here for Daniel. It's recorded. His blameless, his righteous, he stood firm in his convictions. We can go back in Esther that we just come out of. It was the same thing. They were blameless. They stood firm in their convictions. And we see God come to action for them. We see here, and secondly, God honors and protects his people in the face of great danger. Saying the same thing in Esther. That edict was done, it was seared, it was delivered, all the Jews would be eradicated. As we see here for Daniel, that edict was signed, it was seared, it was delivered. Daniel was going to be thrown in the den of the lions, and he was thrown in the den of the lions, and there was nothing that could be done about it. And thirdly, we see the testimony of God's work makes even the pagans worship God. Makes even the enemies of God worship him. As we see in Esther, it was declared, Jews, 
feel free to worship your God. Your God is the one true God. And it was here for Daniel as well. As we read here, as we wrap up, verse 25. And the king Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people ought to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. 28 says, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. In our world, we might not see that victory like Daniel seen here on earth. We might not be exonerated like Daniel was here on earth. But it's one thing that we know that if we confess our sins, we profess our faith in Christ, our righteousness, our integrity is not in question, that our victory is in heaven, See, we're far from innocent here on earth. We're far from innocent. We're far from blameless. But for God's glory to be present and evident in our lives, he sent his son to the cross of Calvary to die for our sins. So the inversion was done here. See, in the case of Daniel, he was the holy, he was the righteous one. He was the one that was free and blameless. And God protected him and delivered him. In our case, we are the ones who are vile. We are the ones who are sinners. We are the ones who are, we have all the blame. We are the evil ones. But God flipped it. He sent his upright son. He sent his holy child, his only child, blameless, free of sin, free of guilt, to swap and take over our sins on the cross of Calvary. And he died for us. And now our testimony, what is our testimony this morning? If you're here, you're not a Christian. What is your testimony? Seeing and hearing this, you have an opportunity here to confess your sin and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. We see the victory here of, of Daniel, and we know the victory that awaits for us in heaven. And you have an opportunity here if you're not a, a, a member of this body, if you're not saved, to confess your sins to repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ. See, he's laid his life on the cross for us. He's taken that blame that we deserve, that punishment, eternal punishment that we deserve, that we've earned as a result of our sins. Christ has taken that from us. He's taken that over for us on the cross. It's done one time. We don't need to make sacrifices. We don't need to pray facing Jerusalem anymore. He's done that for us. He's taking that blame for us. All he expects from us is our righteousness, our holiness, our faith in him, our dedication to his word, the way we raise our children, the way we are with our spouses, the way we do business, the way we, do, we, the way we operate at work. This is what's expected of us. So how do we want God to be glorified? And how do we want sinners, our neighbors, our colleagues, our coworkers, friends, some of our families? How do we want their lives to be changed ultimately? We need to stand on the truth of the Bible. We need to stand firm in our faith and our godly, content, our godly convictions. 
We need to cultivate the habit of fervent prayer, just like Daniel did. Now, think about the position of being a satrap, the highest of the high officials. He was busy. There's a lot of stuff happening in the kingdom that he had to pay attention to. But we read here, we notice here that he still spent this three times in his day to worship. He was never too busy. That's an excuse that we make. It's too busy in the morning, we got to get the kids ready. We got to get out of work, we got to catch a train, we got to beat traffic. Never too busy, Daniel was. At lunchtime, well, I only got an hour for lunch and I got to get back to work. Never too busy, Daniel was. And in the evening, we're tired, it's been a long day. Just can't wait to hit the bed and call it a day. Never too busy, Daniel was. As busy as his schedule was, he made the t- commitment, that routine, to be before his God. That's a calling for us tonight, this morning. As we build those routines with our children to pray, to make it a habit to pray, make it a habit to spend quiet time before God, make it a habit to spend time in his word. Daniel was upright. He prayed fervently. He was plotted against and he persecuted. Yet he persisted in his habit of prayer and thanksgiving. And we see he was delivered and he was preserved. Now in closing, do not be afraid when your faith and belief in God is questioned, is put to the test. Do not be afraid to stand firm in your faith, whatever the outcome may be, whatever the perceived or the confirmed punishment may be. Do not be afraid when the opportunities that we have of free speech an opportunity to gather as a church in a public space. Let's not be afraid when that gets questioned, when that gets put to the test, because it will be. And ultimately, when we face a threat of death, do not be afraid. It's ultimately an opportunity to, to give God the glory as we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to stand firm in our faith. We have many examples in the Bible of men and women who were faced with the worst of the worst, and they had faith in God. Their integrity was never questioned. They stood firm in their righteousness. They stood firm in their faith and their convictions. And ultimately, we see some got their victory here on earth, and some were martyrs, as some of us might be, but they knew their victory as well was in heaven. That's, That's enough for me. It should be enough for you as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the opportunity to learn about Daniel here. Just want to ask and, and pray, Lord, that we, we need your grace in our day-to-day lives and how we carry ourselves and how we portray ourselves, what our convictions are to make the habit of prayer, make the habit of our daily devotion. We're just asking for your grace that as we go into this week, that you help us right our wrongs. You help us put into practice what we've been taught, what we've learned. And at the end of it all, Lord, all we ask and all we want is for your name to be exalted. It's for your glory to shine in our lives. We ask and pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. 
For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.